Come, friend, and welcome to the throne room of the Going Rogue Gaming Podcast. I sit before you, newly anointed king of the Grog Pod, who hath just pulled a sword from a stone and therefore rightfully deserve the title of king, Scott Berger. And without that accent, and uh, with my royal court of advisors here, May I grace your court as the official egghead of the land, uh, Will? And I, of course, your uh, infamous goblin, the, perhaps a monster in your monster pit, or a uh, court jester. Pick, take your pick. <laughs> uh, today we are talking Warsim, the Realm of Islona, released June 28th, 2017 in early access on Steam, and recently just graduated out of early access in uh, December 20th of last year, 2022. Uh, you can find this only on PC, on Steam, itch.io, and is coming soon to GOG. Uh, I think it's probably a good fit for it. This is a, a solo game dev effort by Hugh Milliard. Wait, hang on. Hugh Millard. Thought there was an extra I in there. Uh, solo game dev from Cardiff out in Wales. Uh, who I would describe as a total lad, but we'll come back to that. Uh, Warsim comes in on our data set at the 417th most popular roguelike uh, that we have, with 932 total reviews and up in the 88th percentile. Will? I think it has it has over yes. 900 reviews now, I'm pretty sure. You, I, well, I just saw that. Yeah. Uh, so this is, this is because I'm reading from the most recent data poll that I did, which I think uh, okay. was in December. I'm trying to trying to do that data pull operation once like once every three months or so because it's like it's just annoying enough that like i don't know it takes maybe like six hours to crawl the steam api to do it and not not get kicked off of their their platform uh but you know i, th I think like refreshing that data set every three months is like the good the proper cadence to like let new stuff come in and mature and not like oh you know it went from 932 to 935 reviews. That was worth six hours of watching my computer overnight. Uh, but Will, you have a an unruly uh, bandit who's just come into your throne room. And you have to describe to him what this game is about <laughs> or pull the trapdoor button. Which one uh, do you pick? Well, I'm not going to pull the trapdoor. That's, that's a noob trap right there, the trapdoor. But... Um... <laughs> Let's see. I, I would describe this game as uh, it's a text-based adventure betting game or betting fantasy medieval civilization Kenshi uh, game. <laughs> it's um, yeah, it's a, you're you're building a kingdom and you're making all kinds of decisions at all levels of granularity down to from a, a throne room level, like decisions, peasants coming in, making decisions about their lives to wars at large, mercenary armies, adventuring guilds, uh, exploring the lands and demon hordes. And it's just all of this chaos kind of brought to order through the lens of 12 options, essentially on a home screen, which take you through these various things. And over 50 turns, you um, 50 or more turns, you, Build your kingdom and uh, find your place among the the other rulers. Yeah, I would say this game is very is very unique. I think this is this is something that's kind of hard. I was trying to figure out like, okay, what what sort of tags do I apply to this on the grogpod.zone website to to kind of like 
make sure I don't put like 50 like tag descriptors on there. But like it is it is all of that and more. It's kind of insane with like uh with it all being wrapped up in a very uh DOS-like 1991 style text-based menu. Um but but it feels it feels much bigger than that. I mean, yep, that's that sounds right to me, Colin. <laughs> uh one <laughs> large complaint right from the get-go is oh we start uh, starting starting swing coming in swinging, eh? Well, we were talking about well, we're in the arena. The wait, 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 we gotta place our bets. We gotta place our bets in the disagreement arena here. I'm gonna put two thousand gold on Colin here. This is a this is a meta complaint, but uh, but also possibly my own. My, so my keyboard doesn't have a numpad, mm-hmm. and <laughs> big mistake. It's wow, like yeah, physically <laughs> uncomfortable for me to play this game because you have to click zero and enter many times, and my fingers don't stretch that far very well, and like my hand would get tired from clicking zero and enter many times, and then also like. I have to look at the keys to figure out what number I'm pushing. So playing this game was frustration. Mm-hmm. I almost went and dug out my old keyboard, my yeah, shitty like $20 keyboard to play this game. Yeah, that would have saved you a lot of grief. This game is not, this, it, that was, I think, one of the top complaints I saw, I think, in just like some of the Steam reviews is like, yep, my keyboard doesn't have that. Well, too bad, you know? <laughs> Well, that's so that's super interesting because I I spent all of my 10-ish hours playing this game all on the Steam Deck. And oh. you would think that this game would be like how, impossible how to play work? on it. And for the most part, I think like uh some people were saying, like, you know, uh oh, you know, this this game on the Steam Deck, you have to open up like the the touch menu UI and like press in the little buttons. But someone had created a um like a fan controller scheme, which I think I think the dev should like set as default for it, where like the the left trackpad just becomes like a uh, a number wheel, and like that worked really well. Where I was just like, okay, um, I need to arrange diplomacy. Okay, left trackpad, rotate over to the four, press, and then hit the A button for enter. And it was it felt very fluid and natural. Um, I think like the I don't know one or two hours that I spent actually on the PC. I was just using like the numbers on on like the top, like the thought to use the numpad hadn't really ever occurred to me. Really? I that was absolutely paramount for me. I was navigating everything through the mm-hmm. numpad. And um, if you're I, and, and this is what I would say to anyone playing on a Steam Deck or other like if you're not playing this game with it on one half of your screen and a G sheet or Excel <laughs> or something on the other half, you're doing it wrong because you're you're de- you're just guessing. You're what you're, you're just you're just uh, absolutely guessing at what everything does until you start to build a sense of it through through uh Gathering some data, looking at some of the uh, uh, well, the so, variants and all so that fun stuff. What? Uh, so, so this game you can generate generates like a gazillion. What was it? The, the a billion different possible races or something? I think it's like ninety eight billion or something. Something yeah. crazy. So what? What kind of races did you get? Because I feel mm. like perhaps my playthrough was strongly influenced by the race selection here, or the species, or whatever you want to call it. It, it shouldn't be, I think. But I, I I started three games, and so I think I've got a sense, at least some 
basic sense of the the variance that you should expect. And I think that what it usually does is there's probably at least one race that you just can't have diplomacy with out of like, I think it's like five races in total or four or five, something like that. And so one that you can't have diplomacy with because they're too barbaric. And so there's like a certain like <laughs> subset of dudes that are just they're like just trolls. so overcome with savagery, right? Yeah, they're like trolls or like in this game, there's like always two um, factions, which are goblins. And so so those ones are kind of put aside. But there are four other independent factions. And I'm pretty sure you're always start at war with three of them. And then one of them is neutral. But like their actual composition only really matters in the sense that, yeah, if you get I mean, obviously, if you get attacked by someone whose average battle score is like 250, um, yeah, you're going to get dunked on because yours is uh, much lower with, um, yeah, oh, I guess, p- battle score. Before I get into, like, I <laughs> I don't want to get too off topic, but we're going to need to cover this anyway. So I'll come okay. back to you, Colin. But like, just so folks know that battle score is like basically everything in this game is based on some sense of battle score. And so um, it's just like the all the races. Rating, right? Yeah. Yeah. All races have essentially three classifications of dudes, which is like a peasant class, a soldier class and a knight class, which for you as a human is 50, 100 and 150. But when these other races are generated, what happens as I understand it is and I'm not sure if it goes from the top down or from the bottom up, but it basically it chooses a random number and it si- assigns it to that class. But it's not quite random because like I, my assumption here is that when it decides that it wants to build a troll, for instance, it just chooses from a higher average value and it chooses like a, a number that's j- b- kind of higher in general. But then it makes sure there's no overlap such that like if it's choosing within a range, it's going to make sure that the middle range doesn't go below the first range. But you could have a dude, for instance, I had I played one game, the second game where the first the race is generator where was like 13 was the battle strength of their peon, like their little like peasant class. And then the next one was like at like 49 and the last one was like 113. So it was just super easy to crush them. So from that point of view, Colin, I think you probably could be right in the sense that if you're fighting super strong dudes and you're like actually at war with the independent nations, that sucks. But so wait, hold on. I want I want (laughs) to get a sense of like how weird this was. So I didn't really fight the nations that intensely. But when it came to the betting in this arena, which is like as far as I could tell, it is the game It's just betting in this arena. One of my races was called the Behemoth Lunar Godlings, um, mm-hmm. and they had an average HP in the seven to ten thousand range. <laughs> and they, uh, they, I, they did not lose a single fight. The huh. only ever, uh, the only time that they lost a fight was when there was accidentally two of them against each other, <laughs> and it took like five minutes of me holding down the space button for one of them to win. What difficulty were you playing on? like easy mode easy interesting the one above easy mode yeah i feel i think i may have accidentally like messed up my race uh settings because i was like i I was like whatever this game seems like it's about random i'll Mm -hmm. do full random all possible all possibilities and i think i got one that was just like uh, you have like a race of gods and they just kill everything. Honestly, it may have only been like five dudes that just rotating around through this combat, but Mm. basically I was just like bet on that guy when he comes up yeah yeah no the you that was broken actually that's uh <laughs> and i'm just looking at like the so maybe, in the um extras the he, section of the the menu it shows um what the maximum possible combination was, of races are and mm. that's the behemoth arch demigod king comes out with a battle score of 108,000. but even at the lowest like and that's at the um uh, knight level at the peasant level the best is the behemoth arch demigod guardian which is 1500 battle score and so how does battle score relate to 
battle score is it's roughly um hp from the the analysis i did is roughly um 1.3 times battle score huh. uh, it's that not quite like a linear relationship but it's it's near that okay so that sounds like it's absolutely possible yeah so it's possible but like that it should be unlikely to have yeah um, i think it, i think yeah does. just like the behemoth and like arch demigod there's some that just are positive modifiers and i think what did you say they were the behemoth lunar godling oh yeah behemoth <laughs> and then godly yeah yeah of course that's like probably right next to the maximum possible one out of yeah. the 90 million possible i like to think that there's some sort of like anointed like deity from the stars has come to your like fledgling <laughs> arena to like yeah he was in a fight up like all so these peasants for fun in, in my fighting pit not even an arena yet it was just a fighting pit there was the uh behemoth lunar godling king who had like fourteen thousand <laughs> hp and he'd fight like a peasant uh-huh oh my and it was like the peasant had like 57 hit points yeah, you, that makes betting really easy, I bet. Uh, that... It does. <laughs> I did find another pit, another fighting pit that oh, in the north that didn't have that. And it was the betting was a lot more like, uh, hard to do. Um, yeah, like the brawling pit or the scorpion fighting pit. Yeah, I think it's the brawling pit. So we, we've kind of, so I think to answer Colin's question originally about like the races in this game, I think like the random generation in this game comes out with a lot of humor and i had a lot of fun with the races that were generated for my game where i had i had some some of the various kingdoms that that i have written down here are council of the dire aromancers who have various skill levels like will was talking about with like their their peasant their dire novice their dire aromancer and their dire masters uh we have the foreshadowed tribe the goblin kingdom of Arak. uh the infinite shogunate i thought was a pretty cool name uh and, and the uh the creatures from the infinite shogunate are soul demi jellyfish that i could only imagine were like those like creatures that you fight in like one part of elden ring that are just like the like ethereal jellyfish floating around and i was just picturing one with like holding a sword in one tentacle and holding a shield in another tentacle like getting like beat to death by some lowly peasant from my kingdom uh, I think my favorite one from my playthrough right now is the Kingdom of Barbaric Fungus Shapeshifting Horses, uh, who are also surprisingly weak, uh, who on numerous occasions have lost fights to peasants and have cost me thousands and thousands of gold. <laughs> uh, and then we have other things like, you know, like your typical bandits or like Savage Clan Implings, um, Goblin Berserkers, all that good stuff. But I had the uh, Dastardly uh, Salt Centaurs. <laughs> Which are not salt centaurs made out of salt, but in fact just cowardly and pathetic centaurs that like to rub salt upon themselves. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I did get a kick out of that. Yeah. And that's one thing that I think that overall I really like about this game, where I know there's a lot of I well, okay. I think there's a lot of procedural generation going on. I think there's a lot of bespoke custom writing going on as well. But I think it's a good sign that I can't tell which is which half the time. Yeah, no, that 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 especially showed like for me, I was like when I restarted the game, I was expecting new locations like for every. But that was one of those things like, oh, it's the same location. So I had no idea that there was going to be um, uh, that would be that everything there was bespoke and, and totally like, um, you know, in depth made by the creator versus um, the races, which were all made. 
Mm -hmm. So when when you mean locations, you're talking about like regions of the world, right? Like things yeah, the that you areas. go and explore in like the north, east, and south, and west of the right. of the realm of Aslona, as it were. Because I know that, um, so, okay, so uh, coming back to what do you do in this game? Uh, you start with a uh, a tutorial from your old crone who has just sat you down as a as a newly anointed king and you can or, or queen and you can select like various origin stories. Uh, I wound up picking the, I, you know, pulled the sword from the stone and therefore I'm the right rightly king option, but I'm guessing you two probably didn't pick that one because there's a, a a big list that you can choose from, including one that says it's a long story. I did random and I was, uh, uh, I made a pact with demons so that uh, the old king killed himself and I became uh, ascended to the throne and no one likes me. <laughs> uh, I think I just did a random one as well. And then like my, my father was assassinated and I took the throne. Uh, I got demons every turn. Really? Yeah. Huh. Interesting. My, my, I, I, I was like sworn to a demon, and my goal in the was to like end the world. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, I wondered how like public opinion plays a role, and I'm guessing that like that was the side I didn't explore. Like, if you go really negative, like I'm guessing torture becomes good, or like having a really bad rating where you're just absolutely causing evil is good for your kingdom. Well, I don't know. I didn't oh. actually. I didn't. I didn't play. I don't think I played into that quite enough. Oh, okay. Uh, I mean, that was, uh, was my first playthrough, so I didn't really understand. I don't really understand what's going on. Yeah, you don't and, really. Like... The first. Well, to to satisfy your uh, demonic flavor, there's a there's like I think it's an Easter egg in the game where like at the main menu, if you just type six six six, it'll go into like devil mode, where you torture people. Yeah, I saw <laughs> that on the subreddit. Yeah, I'm just like someone someone found the secret thing when they type in the six six six, and like uh -huh. yeah. It looks looks very uh there's lots of torture in this game as i found in the various <laughs> areas and a specific um area filled with vampires for instance there's a an area where you can just like you know poke people's this guy's eyes out slice his ear off and like do all kinds of messed up stuff to him it's great mm -hmm. i killed them all accidentally all the which which ones the the southern vampires oh you did okay yeah yeah no that's uh i think that's the best option there I didn't even know like they're just like <laughs> want to fight and I was like yeah I'll fight you and then I killed them all and then there was just like an empty town <laughs> like, well, I'm guessing cool. if you have demons demons all have like a yeah. battle strength of like 666 I think which is like way above everything else. I had my my army at this point is like 1 million if what? I oh yeah my God. I, oh you're on easy mode though right I'm on the like second easy mode. Okay, yeah, that's, that's where I started too. Mode. I think that's a good, that's a good way to go through the game the first time. But then everything gets so easy that it's just like, oh well, you dare do anything, I will just destroy you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like playing a normal mode and trying to be like, like the good guy of the kingdom is maybe limiting my options a little. Where I feel like so the the first thing that you're greeted with as you start this game is that you've recently taken over the 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 realm the kingdom and you have to prove that you're a worthy ruler because you have a rebellion on your hands and or at least this was this was in my case again like i i don't yeah, know if this was the case for everyone else you always have a rebellion do you okay yeah. and yeah so it's like i think there's there's that kind of pull in the early game of um 
figuring out like, hey, here's how warfare basically works by starting you off with like, hey, you know, you, you got to quash this rebellion. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to, to rule effectively, which I think is probably a good a good starting point. Um, but because I'm like, well, maybe I don't want to throw everyone into the prison just yet. Uh, I feel like like I'm maybe trying to be like too constrained by like your classical like good guy king archetype and maybe not exploring as many options as I as I could be by serving the demonic lords or or what have you. Yeah, no, I didn't uh I didn't really have that. I, in, the, in my first playthrough, I was just trying everything and like, mm-hmm. hey, yeah, let's see what happens when I pull this trap door and kill a dude. Let's <laughs> let's see what happens when I give a peasant uh, no gold, when I give him as much gold as he's asking for, more than that, and like just kind of like doing everything. Mm-hmm. And that kind of gives you, a, I think, a good sense, especially early on, of like what is all possible, what sort of reactions to expect from things. Um, Could you describe think- for me what, you would do on a normal turn year oh i have that all saved in fact in my logs over here um (laughs) game three turn notes and it's very detailed um yeah this last you want you want to hear like what a turn i I do because i'm genuinely Hmm. unsure where the fun is okay so this is turn nine and this is on insane difficulty in which you start with one land and you have uh 50 gold, I think you have some in the bank, but I don't remember how much. And you have like 25 men or something like that. And so, um, and everyone else has like thousands of men and you are just like this tiny little dude with no upgrades in your kingdom. And like, it's, it's, it's a rough start, but I think what the optimizations made, it's what allowed me to by turn nine. The first thing I did was I earned 33.75 thousand in the um, arena. Um, first thing. Uh, you learn early on that you subsidize the arena. As soon as you do that, you unlock an insane amount of uh, gold betting. And then you just never lose at gold betting when you mm-hmm. have optimized how to do it. And so <laughs> when you have a you Google have ten- sheet of like all of the uh, <laughs> the battle scores. Well, yeah, you're right. I mean, like there's a chance that you could lose, like, but the chance gets very small if you if you mitigate that risk through just the, the right analysis and your right understanding of like what battle scores um, win at what probability. But anyways, so you in 10 in 10 rounds, essentially, you all you have to do is win about three or four. And if you don't have enough money early on, you take a loan because if you take the loan, make the bets, make them right, then you can pay off the loan. and You have tons mm-hmm. of extra money. But anyway, so you earn money. Um, I explored a little bit to the east. My goal right now is to first hit all the mines and unlock the mines because that's the highest income, like ROI investment as, as far as my analysis shows. And then you- um, well, uh, well, So hang on, what, what do you mean by hit the mines exactly? Because I've come across a few mines so far and I've only just really kind of talked to the people who own it. And like- Oh yeah. Are, are you supposed to like conquer them? Are you supposed to do trade deals with them? Well, right now, um, so there's 129 different unique locations. Each of these 129 I have in my document over here with um, how far, like, essentially there's like three or four different de- levels of depth from you. And mm-hmm. so I made this and I, I for each one of these 129, I get assigned it a level of desirability based on its income it provides or the function it provides and how useful it is <laughs> to your empire. Because I And then I created the build order essentially that says I need to go here first, then here, uh-huh. then here and here. And so my build order is essentially like go to the Montfort, mine west is the first thing you see you could demand tribute early on it has 350 men after you're able to take it you put 500 peasants in there and then you're earning <laughs> four thousand gold per turn yeah what okay yeah the mines are good yeah and it's consistent there's like a lot of them have variation but these ones are just always the same amount every time um and then like caravans are another thing it's like you got to hit the caravan 
establish a trade route and that's just easy income. And so like, yeah, there's a whole build order here. Um, and uh, that's what I've been playing at on turn nine. Uh, I, I had a new goblin slaver. This is just a random thing that happened. My, my old one died. New one came in. He charges only one gold for a goblin. Usually they're like five, six, seven, eight, more, 12, you know, gold. And so what you do is like, I wanted to lock him in. So I immediately hired a, a, an army of guards to protect this guy and keep him permanently safe. And so now I can always get goblins every turn for one gold for a goblin and goblins have the second highest ROI in terms of battle score per, per, per gold coin. <laughs> So I got into this, if you can't tell. And that's why, I mean, as you'll see, I, I give this game a good rating because I just, mm -hmm. anytime I can crack a G sheet open and figure yeah. this stuff out, I love it. There's a very uh, uh, appropriate, like, level of Tenchi style, like, over overwhelming analysis that you can do, I feel like, for, like, optimization and, like... How many slaves do I need in order to get my economy running kind of a deal? Exactly. And that's, that's for me, what so much of the satisfying part is. Mm -hmm. um, the turn concluded, though, with one extra thing, which was I hired a mercenary army to, um, uh, I wanted them to take the lands from the rebels. They had six lands left, and they get five attacks, and I found the one that I... I did analysis of each of them to see the average battle score, the number of units per and for the cost. So I could met for, know, for each of the, the, mer uh, the mercenary companies. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I just uh, hired them. I sent them out. Um, he, unfortunately, I, the one I hired, they kind of randomly decides whether or not they charge for invasion. <laughs> and so this was costing me an extra 2,100 to do the an actual invasion of the land. You can either um, skirmish raid or invade lands. And I wanted to take their land. And so I decided not to raid. I, instead, I assimilated them. There's basically a one-third probability that when you ask to assimilate them, that they do nothing, um, that they end the contract, you just lose them, you lose the gold, or they join your army. And if they join your army, you essentially, like that's the best way to grow your army size in terms of cost-effectiveness mm. um, because you spend essentially like 6,000 gold on what, what is like 312 soldiers, which would otherwise cost you about 30,000 gold to like purchase them over the course of many turns because it's hard to get that many all at once. So that was my turn and it was highly successful. And now <laughs> I've got like something like 5,000 units on this insane difficulty by turn nine, 19 lands because you have the way I've hired mercenary. It's just, oh, it feels so satisfying to feel like I really, <laughs> at this point, there's nothing that can stop me. It's is mm -hmm. insane. Uh, once you know how to play the game and how to beat it. Interesting. So when so okay, your your main menu that you have in this game. I think we've talked a lot about uh, arena betting. Uh, we've talked a little bit about the bank. Uh, this like main menu allows you to like do troop management allows you i think you've t kind of touched on hiring mercenary companies there also but you can hire uh staff and champions to kind of like help uh sub manage elements of your empire uh so having like hiring a spy master that will tell you like you know oh here's i think that's how you go about assessing enemy em or other empires things like their troop trees so you can see their battle score or like their relations with other empires and things like that um which is super interesting i think for me with like not not quite not quite the uh the scale of uh google sheet optimization strategies but for me more like okay who should i ally with so that i can like push against like 
an a, an enemy like mutual in interest or something like that. Um, one of my one of my royal advisors suggested that. So after I put down the rebellion group, uh, there's still like these bandits that I guess roll around your city, and they're you know they're just like gangs that kind of push people around and steal gold here and there. Um, but one of them was suggesting like, oh, we should uh, ally with a couple of them and then have them just infight each other so we don't have to fight all of them at once. Like that that sounds like an interesting strategy. I don't know if that's something that like the game suggested because of the state that I was in or if that's just something that that royal advisor always says. But I was like, huh, like that that like ticked a box with me of like being interesting and unique enough that for just like this quote unquote simple looking text based game felt very deep and rich for what it was. Um and I feel like that that just kind of like touches very briefly on the surface of of like the diplomacy menu, for example. Um, I haven't even really gotten into anything like changing the laws of the land is another option you have in your main menu. Kingdom upgrades, like I don't have a library yet, so none of my people could read books. <laughs> uh, Overrated. <laughs> and I look at the prices of them, and I'm like, God, 25,000 gold. Where am I going to get 25,000 gold from? I think I've been always sitting at like five to 9,000 gold at all times. I'm just like, okay. I know I could go the FanDuel sponsored gambling addiction route in the arena, but is that is that like the most fun and best way to play in the early game? Do you do you want you want some numbers? I mean, I can give you I can tell you exactly <laughs> what to expect here. Uh, let me pull up my uh, my income statement. Uh, here it is. Uh, so um, on a per turn basis. Uh, it looks like it varies, but um, the arena makes up about 78 to 85 percent of my income. Wow. And that's across all of the assets that I have. And the, all these assets are the primo, like the like in theory, the best assets you could have, at least at this hmm. stage of the game. So it, which means that like essentially I last turn, I made thirty three thousand seven hundred fifty from the arena. And I made, in terms of all of my other assets put together, 9,153. That's all the taxes across 18 lands, all the, the goblin slaver, the, the caravans, the pillaging. So the arena, once you under, like, that's why Colin, I think, was saying, like, this is the game, is the arena betting. Like, once you hmm. figure that out, it accelerates you towards everything so much faster. And the, and the arena grows, like, it, it, like, very quickly in terms of how much you can start to bet. Like, I, I wasn't tracking it before turn seven, but it went from max bet of 35,000 to 45,000 to 65,500. I think it might scale with the number of lands you have. I'm mm. not 100% sure. I haven't actually analyzed that quite yet. But um, if that's the case, then that well, might be what draw is driving this increase because I'm rapidly expanding. But And you have to, and the only way that you can get income from the arena is to bet. Is that right? Oh, you can own it too. I mean, I think in my game, it's $45,000 to purchase it. And I think it generates about five to 8,000 in yearly um, revenues. Yeah. Cause like, I like, I like the idea of the arena where you go into the arena menu and it's like, okay, uh, champion lowly cowardly fragile bill is going to fight Omega hyper warlord, uh, skull crusher 9,000. And you're like, okay, this seems like a pretty easy bet. 10,000 gold on the skull crusher. And then it goes to like a little ASCII menu or like a little ASCII animation of the little gate opening, which I, th I find kind of fun. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, it goes through like a step-by-step -step process of like, 
you know, the lowly crippled peasant tries to swing at the skull crusher and trips over his own two feet. And then, you know, the, the skull crusher is, you know, stabs him in the heart and, you know, overkills him for 5,000 damage or something. And all that is fine, but you got to do it a lot. Right. In order yeah, to, to, well, t- 10, 10 arena tournaments and a grand champion tournament, like, or around uh, uh, mm-hmm. so 11 rounds per turn. And, and I feel like it's, I've, I've been pretty entertained by it, but I feel like the more that I've been trying to maximize income from the arena, it almost becomes, I don't know, chore-like in a way after a little bit where it's like, okay, I, I have a feeling this guy is going to win big bet on him. And then like, you know, Colin was saying space bar, space bar, space bar, space bar to like roll through the rest of the combat. Right, an turn, and I know you can turn on the option mm-hmm. to make it go through, but then it's just like, what is the game? <laughs> so wait, what? There's an I option. I feel like, like this game is already Dwarf Fortress. Read the battle logs. The game, and if oh. you're like, what are you? What is? Where's the fun come from? Is my real question for this game. Like. I feel like, well, you and I have very divergent opinions on this game. I appreciate the uh, the scope of it, what it's attempting to do, but mm. I didn't, I didn't, I found it boring. Mm. Like, I mean, maybe it's because I wasn't doing all the analysis and stuff, but yeah, I was just like, okay, press through. There's there's no animations. There's just like text of what the, the people are doing. Okay, all right, they slap each other for a while. You, get good at figuring out who's going to win. And like, I, I mean, I didn't uh, do the, the, the G sheet mode, but I could figure out if, if, if any of the lesser races were, were fighting, I'd still bet. I'd still try and figure out who was going to win. And I could get it right most of the time. But even then it's just like, ah, the, the, the scarred, uh, dastardly salt centaur gladiator uh, versus the one-eyed bandit warlord. It's like, then they're oh he swung critical hit good job the number went down yeah like the crowd interactions too i thought were a delightful novelty added to that to be fair like it's not just swinging back and forth miss hit like it's sometimes they'll pause and they'll like fart at each other and then there's a sound (laughs) effect of that or like they'll like kind of like uh you know taunt each other a little bit or there'll be a warlock in the audience that shoots one of your dudes for you know oh, the fireball for like critical hits and kills them so you lose all your money not that that's ever happened to me but uh <laughs> that's uh certainly uh i think it adds a little bit of flair but the novelty does burn away and it burns away for every single aspect of the monotonous sort of like things i totally agree and um in fact the um the creator agrees as well um is <laughs> this is a uh, this feedback is one that I, I in a Steam comment, I, I you know, or a, uh, was it a comment, a review? I, uh, I posted that, and he's like, he kind of acknowledged it, and I said, "Yep, I, I mean, I get it." This I think started for him as a, a coding exercise that he just mm-hmm. kept building on, and was just like, "Oh yeah, this is kind yeah. of fun," and just so like so th- at some point, it's just like, "Oh well, now I didn't have the end in mind, so this mechanic is just really dense." But like, you kind of once you absorb the novelty. I just have to have a way of skipping it. And that's why you hire a steward, for instance, to take, take care of all your throne room stuff. That's why you you skip over lots of the minutia of the game eventually. Yeah, I feel like, honestly, this reminds me, you saying that it started as a coding exercise, like a lot of it clicks into, makes sense to me. It clicks into place. Like this feels like 
I want to like it a lot because it feels like something that I would make for myself. And I think I would have a lot more fun engaging it the way that you have, where I'm like trying to really break down how it works. Or if I were the one programming myself, it myself, like I built that whole weird Taurus creature simulator thing. <laughs> I spent hours and hours and hours making that. And it had nothing. It wasn't, it wasn't a game. It was a weird simulator that I made for myself. Um, I feel like without that though, like I was trying to treat this like a game game mm-hmm. and I don't, I didn't get it. Yeah, I think, like, I'm kind of in the middle between Will's, like, hyper-obsessive number optimization and Colin's kind of bewildering confusement because, like, I, I, I too, like, I really like this game. I think it's super original. I think it's very funny. Uh, it has a very kind of, like, neither of you have seen the, the show Blackadder, have you? I've seen, like, clips on YouTube. Yeah. It's the, very the um, British, super dry humor. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like this is this is like the Dwarf Fortress equivalent of Blackadder, which like meshes two things very nicely for me. Uh, so I, I do appreciate a lot of the the humor. And like, I think the randomness like really works in this game. But like I was getting a little burnt out on arena betting. Uh, I was also like, OK, I need to step away from it because otherwise I'm going to have to like call one of those gambling hotline commercials that I see on NFL games all the time. (laughs) Uh, And I was like, okay, uh, let's go explore the realm. Another option you have in your main menu thing. Let's go explore the realm. Let's see what else is out there. And there's like, you know, Will was saying there's a lot of stuff out there. Uh, And I went to, I think it's like in the West or the North or something. There's this, um, this like black, uh, black market kind of, town that you go to that has all like these little districts in it I'm like okay i want to like explore this world more like get me more into the theme of like what's what's happening outside of my like little kingdom and throne room and it felt very very interesting to explore more of that stuff so i went into this uh um black market zone and uh went and looked at all these kind of like slums and like talk to like people and they they're like all have these kind of different personalities and each thing that you in this game uh that you interact with has like a little like ascii art thing that pops up at the top i think all the ascii art is very well done in this game uh it has a very like good um sense of like abstractness to it but also like kind of comic cartoony funness um so I went to I went to the Black Wall uh, to see all of the the um, local heroes that had banished uh, uh, enemies of the past. Uh, I I went to uh, this one uh, dingy uh, bar place who that's run by a and I don't know if the, again like is this randomly generated or not? Like if it is incredible if it's not it's still fun where uh you approach the woman known as mag and quickly notice the worst smell is not the food but her uh and so i was like boy this food sure looks tasty and her response was like shut up you old crag or something like that (laughs) and i was like okay this food looks disgusting and then her response was like are you coming on to me and i was (laughs) i was just like 
This is this is perfect. And all of the food there looked disgusting. There were bloody rags and maggots in it and everything. And I'm like, this is this is great. Uh, I found I found a strange orb that I could buy for 500 gold coins. I don't know what it does. I don't have an artifact hall to put it in. I should go probably build an artifact hall and see what happens. Probably something bad, but maybe something fun. Um, there's there's a lot of references to to demons in this game, Colin. I think like you you may have spawned as like basically the final boss, and we're basically like if if you had started a game of Oblivion and you were like no, big... I wasn't the final boss. I was the final boss's minion. Okay, yeah. I could see him in the mirror. I could go talk to a mirror, and I would talk to like the demon lord and and like ask him for more demons and you'd be like how dare you how uh, dare you ask me for more demons I mean, we already spoil everything there is in fact something you might consider a final boss that is within the demon gate to the south yeah and i was uh, yeah that was gonna be my next thing was like there's there's like these little dotted references of like some people who come to your throne room saying like i worship the demon lord and you should too and i'm like tell me more and they're like I've seen the future and he brings a world that will destroy and devour all and it would be bliss. I'm like, okay, guards kill him. Uh, and through my explorations of like the South and the East and stuff, I'm like, okay, I'm finding like hints to this oblivion style demon gate thing that I want to investigate more. So I think like my fun with this game is, is not so much like the economic optimization part. I, I kind of, like that's kind of like wearing on me a little. If there was a a royal advisor that I could just say like, "Hey, go go bet for me," and like I want you to bet in this kind of style, and I don't want to have to think about it ever again. Like do that kind of factorio style optimization and automation for me, and like we're we're golden. Like I don't want to I don't want to have to go and like into each individual empire to like get reports on them. Like that's what the spy master is for. Do that for me. Um, maybe it's just like that's missing for for like the gold getting aspect but the yeah i think the principal fun for me has been exploring the world seeing what all there is to offer and failing the stupid history quiz that they have for the the history guild that was like what's this here's this like incredibly detailed history of the northern lands with like how the western empire invaded and how like the the, uh, the thick bloods and the and the black bloods were you know betrayed by uh by the swift snow tribes and all these things I'm like okay uh this is all fun skip 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 oh there's a quiz at the end uh <laughs> let's see how good I <laughs> okay, do I like that I didn't uh and I got a uh, I think I got an 11 out of 20 on the quiz at the end I'm like <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was like this and then the the uh the guild master was like you came so close to a passing grade but now I have to take the quiz. I have to go through all the studies all over again if I want to try to get uh, accepted into the history guild. So there's stuff yeah. like that. Like there's stuff that, um, and again, like I'm I'm only like maybe 10 hours into the game. Like there's, <laughs> it feels like there's a lot of more stuff than just the arena. But I do remember there was like this funny screenshot posted to, Will mentioned the very active subreddit for this game. Uh, the de- the developer is I w- I would say very very dedicated in keeping a lot of the uh, the life in his uh, game alive. Uh, where th- there was one screenshot in there that was like you know um, oh we should arrange diplomacy with this one uh, one kingdom or something. 
Uh, and then the advisor saying like, oh, well, this is war sim, ain't it? It ain't peace sim. <laughs> There's lots of little quibs like that all throughout the game. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's, I mean as, as you said, like the, the, the writing for each one of these unique experiences is so novel. And uh, I mean, I, I agree with you completely. Like that's, that's to me what a lot of the draw of it is. I think there is a, a, a type of gamer that like where it's the extension of this that wants to read all the lore, all the poetry, all the books and this stuff. And that's uh, that's not me. And uh, yeah. they're, they, def- they, they definitely provide a lot of that in the form of like read all of this history and then take a quiz on it. Um, but that's <laughs> not me. Um, my goal is to crush my enemies, see them driven before me and hear the lamentations of their women. So like <laughs> that was and to do that in the most optimal way possible. So I skipped a lot of the walls of text and, and ended up just not engaging with a lot of those kind of quizzes, this quiz or, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. So I think maybe my experience was the bad synergy of both of yours. I neither engaged with the lamentations of their women nor their walls of text and instead just wandered aimlessly in the wild north mm-hmm. Uh looking at at uh at rocks and then finding the doomstone and touching it 13 times as you said i should never do <laughs> you touch the doomstone 13 it even says if you touch it 13 times it kills you and what do you do you touch it 13 times incredible i did what if, what I, if that, you touched I did it 14 it, that times did bring instead. me some joy uh yeah i did t- i touched it 14 times you're right um uh that did bring me some small joy i was like well i guess i got exactly what uh what i what they said uh was going to happen so there we are um so here here's a question this game is nothing like nor should it be nothing like uh civ or stellaris right but i feel like i feel like yeah there is a it is in that itch it's the simulator yeah so what, Colin, for you, because because you're a big fan of Civ, of Civ. you're yeah. a reasonable fan of Stellaris. Like, I've, done, I've played Europa Universalis, I've played Crusader Kings. Mm-hmm. Uh, this game, I think the, the, the dev had said like it was it was very much inspired by like Mountain Blade Warband. Uh, he said it was also inspired by another game that I haven't heard of, but I looked it up and looks very like you could see where the inspiration comes from called King of Dragon Pass. Yep, um, I have I have that. I, okay. I never played it that much, but it, it King of Dragon Pass is is another game that feel it feels very similar. It's a text based mm-hmm. uh, decision generator. Yeah, and honestly, I think maybe one of the things that, that's come out of this is that I I actually do need graphics. Hmm. Like the fact that there was not a map deeply deeply made my like i need i needed a map i needed a map of their kingdoms i needed to see where it was that i was going like i need to see what why are why is this kingdom hate this other kingdom mm-hmm. i don't i i need a i need a graph i need i need visualizations i i, I can't go in there and look at just i, I found that there, there was a lot of reading and i'm willing to do a fair amount of reading but i need to be pretty darn invested in it to go do that and so without a map without graphs or statistics or or plot charts or something like that i mean so when i made my own basically evolution simulator which is like my equivalent of this game 
half of it was me figuring out how to make cool graphs of it uh-huh. or cool visualizations of it and like find ways to because i felt like there's there's a lot of stuff going on in this game mm-hmm. it, in, in the same way as like something like dwarf fortress which i feel like is a is a similar feel where it's a simulator of a whole universe. There's a lot of stuff going on in the background. Um, and I'm trying so hard to, to bring that out in an efficient way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not, it's, it's mostly like, Will just brought it out by manually putting it into a G sheet and calculating it all out. And I maybe want my food to be cut up a little bit more for me. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I want. I I, I, think... I want you know, to to yeah. I want I want my hot dog. I don't want to have to go hunt it first. Yeah, I'm 100 on board with with the map idea. I think that like the ASCII art in this game is great, and I think if there was like because when you go and explore the northern lands, it looks like it's filling out a little a little map for you. Right. Like, yeah. Okay, this is great. Like I can then see like where everything is kind of located relative to everything else. I think there's been some stuff posted in the Warsim subreddit of like, here's this like handcrafted, you know, like very artistically beautiful map that, that they made of their world. Like, that's great. Give me like a goofy looking ASCII version of that. Like I would right. love that. That would be amazing. Um, and the, the other thing that I would really want is um, some kind of like very handholdy, like noob level, um, throne room advisor that's like here's what you should be doing next because i know like this game's very open-ended and very open-worlded but like you know is is there like an end goal that i should be going towards or should i just be betting on snail races the whole time like is that the end goal of the game like maybe it is for some people but Wait, like where'd you get snail races <laughs> uh there is a town in i forget i think it's like in the west somewhere that one of like the little things that you can do there is like that's where you find the snail races it's in like rim village time. that's a depth one in the farad uh desert to the east you make good money <laughs> betting on snails right here no the only betting you should do is the arena all the brawl all the, all the other pits and everything like the the names don't make it obvious enough to know which to bet on hmm. in my at least in my quick view of things but I want. I do want to address the map complaint here because I think you're completely wrong. Uh, the map, like the map, a map wouldn't really make sense here because of the way, like it's designed in such a way that when you're exploring, you're going, mm-hmm. you know, in the four cardinal directions, and you just go out ten, and then like you go out ten more, and like you're basically going up and down one grid, like you know, up to in the in the case of the west, like forty grids away, and you're able to. From go from the furthest west to the furthest east south like you can jump around in one turn to every single explored area and so like what would the map do for you like none of that like nothing being a certain distance away from other things doesn't really make any sense like distance in this game is really just it's just not a a, an actual unit of measure it's a unit of exploration that you have left to do so beating the game in my view is exploring everywhere Mm -hmm. And um, and maybe like beating all of the the rebels, bandits, and goblins, and and like maybe the other independent tribes if you want to. But like once you've done that, you're you're pretty much in a dominant, like unshakable position. Yeah, I have this idea in my head of I want to see like a little ASCII map of like if if there's procedural generation with where the locations are placed, like 
I want to see like, oh, I've discovered this volcano. That's cool. Put like the little volcano next to uh, like the little dusty town next to it. Like just something, something that I can like visually wrap my head around of like, okay, like this is, this is what this world looks like. I'm less concerned that like, oh, the mountain is like, you know, 40 miles Southwest of, you know, where the, the ice Lord's tower is. And that, oh, it's unrealistic that I'd be able to get to both of them in the same day. I'm fine with like magical teleportation because of all the zaniness in this game. I'm I'm more just like, I want to, I want something that I can like print out and hang up on my wall. Be like, this was my adventure that I spent like a hundred hours in. I remember when like that volcano exploded and flooded everywhere with, with lava. I don't know if that's an actual event, but maybe. Or like if demons come out of the demon gate, like being able to see like, that stuff on the map and like from the tent like you know if you're in a if you're a royal king like you have a map somewhere right you got like one of those big game of thrones map rooms that you're walking around yeah i'm just i'm scrabbling to find something to attach onto Mm -hmm. like to make the world more real to me uh will will made it real through a, a deep analysis scott made it real through actually reading some of the text and i need a map i need i need a map i need a i need a picture i need a graph of something i i just i, I felt like i never really got invested in it um mm-hmm. and if you're not invested in it it's a lot of clicking buttons it's like imagine if i if i've i like you're clicking enter in an excel spreadsheet and it's a random number times 0.6, and you're betting against yourself on if it's going to be greater or less than 0.5 mm-hmm. or something like that. It's like the fact that it's procedurally generated or even the fact that it's in a video game. I, I mean, I, I had I had the same kind of thing in, um, in Elden Ring where I'm like, okay, I'm grinding to get better than what? Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a non-existent entity like it doesn't matter that I'm better than night number five. Like I like, cool. I get better than that. But like the fact that in, in, in this game, the fact that I knew that all of these things were procedurally generated and like the betting, if I wasn't invested in the world, like I, there was too much, there's too much for me to follow. And mm-hmm. I feel like I, I, I get that in Dwarf Fortress too, sometimes where it's like, I'm trying to follow the combat logs and I just can't do it. There's too much going on i can't make sense of it and i need i need a visualization i need a graph i need a, a play-by-play uh that shows what's going on in this fight that's not just a block of text isn't that what generates the motivation though i mean like <laughs> i don't know that was my experience i got into this game i'm just like what the hell is going on like okay i got this log I, this is how much damage this did. okay um this is how much money i got from okay i don't like and i just was full of wonder about like what caused that how do I affect it? Like, and then like, what are the tools I have available to me to understand these things? And so I, of yeah. course, went right to my G sheet. And I'm like, well, I need to start like figuring it out through, you know, documenting like, you know, in this case, the arena seems obviously like the biggest source of income. So the arena was, occupies most of my, the analysis. Doesn't make any sense. Where's the like... gold come from? <laughs> where's the, where's the, where's the pit owner getting all that gold from? Well, the the central bank the right? patrons yeah it says it tells you how many patrons visit each of the the things every every uh every you're year. ringing them dry every time does it make economic <laughs> I sense? really am it doesn't make sense that he'd want to do bets with me if I'm just like winning them all we closed down the pit time. 
He should be like, I'm sorry, Will, you're too good at betting. We can't allow you to bet here. That's your, that's really what he should have done. It, it actually is a serious complaint, though. The fact that the arena betting is such a large component of your income. Absolutely. Well, it doesn't think, make the, sense to the, me. The creator in- wants you to not be that good, I think. I think the creator ex- expects somewhere like in between all of us where like, yeah. you're supposed to just kind of like kind of get it right sometimes. Oh, you're supposed to lose all your gold once or twice and realize, oh, I shouldn't do that. And then kind of be more conservative, but you're like supposed to make some money, but like not a lot essentially, I think is kind of what, but if you're optimizing it, like you're not supposed to be making like 37,000, like in gold, you're not supposed to be making 85% of your income through the, <laughs> the, the, the arena. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. You think the yeah, arena owner would be like, you think the arena owner would be like, man, this guy keeps winning a lot of bets here. Um, maybe we should cut you off for the evening or something. Well, they, or they, like, they do. Or they dial back the multiplier a, even. Right. Or like, just like, instead of, you know, paying uh, 1.5 times, like you just, yeah, hey, we're going to pay you 1.1 when you win. Cause mm-hmm, it looks like mm-hmm. you win a lot. Yeah. Something like that. So, okay. So like, I'm on, I'm on like the flip side for your guys's passion for like, um for kenshi i guess like kenshi to, to me feels like the closest 3d analog to this game and for the life of me like i'm i'm like kind of in the column camp on that game of like okay like what do i do here but like i know you two are both much more into that game than i am so what's like what's like the principal draw in kenshi which is a very open world not quite as as to me management sort of a game but similar in the aspect of like you know oh you're like building up your kingdom equivalent with respect to all these other factions that are going on like is there is there something that like is missing from warsim that exists in those other kinds of games that would benefit here other than well, a map <laughs> i mean i think that the the similar th- like the core appeal is how do you break the game and figuring mm-hmm. out if this, this is a, these both games in my view are puzzle games where it's like, you want to understand the economy or like some form of like, what makes your dudes able to crush anything? How do you get to this status? And what's the fastest way to get there? So in Kenshi, Answering that question, like, well, first you have to understand what the different factions do. I have to understand how the economy works. Like, what do you need to produce? How big? How many dudes do you need to your squad? How do you optimize a collection of dudes? Like, there's all these questions, and how do you solve these questions? Like, solving that stuff is what creates the passion for me. And so I know I had lots of spreadsheets for that game too. And like looking at all the different lands and looking at all the very specific, you know, what's the agriculture here? What's the water? What's the acid level? What's the level of the dudes in the area? Cause you can only level up when you're fighting dudes. They're more powerful, but you don't want to be too powerful. And so it's like, mm-hmm. wow, how do you manage all so, that stuff? So Kenshi, love, the, love it. the thing about Kenshi is that it does not have procedural generation at all. It is a right. deeply bespoke world that you can get very invested in the specifics of the lore and stuff like that um it is very um what's the word i'm looking for like uh the the stuff happens organically even though it's not procedurally generated but there's like things that pop up yeah yeah it's very emergent though yes it is and i can see it like so for like they both have kind of do your own goals type of stuff but for something like kenshi you can you can choose your mission of like, I really want to destroy the Holy Empire or whatever. And then I felt like there was a very clear goal that I was striving to 
towards the majority of the time that I was playing with Kenshi. It's either get stronger so you're not beaten up by the dust bandits, or <laughs> then eventually like beat beat the holy empire or whatever. It's like max um, the tech tree out, I think is kind of like the like what goes along with pretty much every mm. style of play, except for unless you want to be completely nomadic, pretty yeah. much like you always want to like get work on the tech. Yeah, and then build a base. Yeah, which kind of like that's you're either a base builder or you're a a nomadic sort of like bandit or a bounty hunter. And that's kind of like the two major ways to play the game. I think. Yeah, I think honestly, I feel weird and shallow saying that the difference is just that it's it has a has graphics. Like I don't like to think of myself as the kind of person who's like, <laughs> uh, I only like games that have pictures. Well, so a, a potential stay tuned episode, Armored Commander 2, very ASCII driven, but also very visually driven in that there's like a big like campaign battle map. The, like you can see advancements of enemy front lines and stuff like graphical to some degree, but also very ASCII in that same regard um, where I think like, yeah, like, you know, graphics aren't the the be all end all. But the flip side of that is like, yeah, you do need some kind of um, and like there is a good visual element in here with like the different like pictures of the people's heads that show up or like little yeah. like, cute little like ASCII boats and things. And like, the, here's the, what the artifact looks like and stuff. The art that it did have, I thought was very good. Like, yeah. I mean, good is a in a very relative term. Like <laughs> it was good, good for what it's going for. It was like very interesting, visually interesting ASCII art. Um, but it did not convey, it conveyed story information, but not, uh, global understanding information. Mostly I just didn't, I just didn't understand what I was doing, Mm -hmm. what I was striving for, where I was trying to, I I didn't feel like I had a real goal. I mean, it was not, wasn't exploring the, like the entire like map, like, or like I, I went north and only north. I made the mistake when I first I was like, I want to see how far north I, I can go. Like yeah. that was my goal. And I just went in that direction and I just kept going and going. And I, I think that's a very like that was a the goal that kept me like drew me into the game initially. Now I got to the doomstone and I was like, that's far enough north. <laughs> that's pretty far. Yeah, that's uh it's square nineteen on the second one. Right. So I mean the north is only three three. It's depth. only three, so um you know, I don't want to go on a huge stand. I just want. I'm just. I'm just excited for the 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 future though, where this kind of game, if we can just imagine the not too distant future, where we're plugging a Chat GPT style of thing into the creation of like the story and like all the dialogue, but then you have like the extra layer that doesn't exist quite yet, which is like creating the betting mechanics, creating like these mini games essentially, and like all that, all the behind the scenes in the depth behind each of these locations. And like really varying the, the the degree of depth on these locations too. Like some are just barren, some of them are like you know buried. But like that could all be created by some AI in the not too distant future. And I think that'll be very cool. Just like boom, just create games, have mm-hmm. people play them, and the best of them just raise rise to the top of like oh, this is the cool new war sim like game that you know is AI generated. I think you're half right in that. I think like everything procedurally generated and programmed here is is great for what it is. Maybe there needs to be, and maybe there is, but I just haven't encountered it yet, like more of that emergent interaction between like 
oh, like if I like bet a ton on the snail races, like how does that impact my relations with or like my interactions with things in the throne room or other factions? Um, but like to Colin's point, I, I think I would almost prefer the flip side of that where like the game is programmed and written how it is, but using like mid journey or stable diffusion to like AI generate the art of like the stuff that it's describing. Cause there's lots of like, tell me more about this ice wizard. What does he look like? Like show me a battlescape of like this invasion of, of the Northlands. Like that sounds kind of cool. I want to see what that looks like. And even if it is like some like goofy looking ASCII thing, like cool. Or like if you had something where on the back end, it was plugging the stuff into mid journey. It was plugging in the ASCII art and then like <laughs> weird set key phrases it and just like here's a generated image of this dude mm-hmm. would it work i don't know not not today but in the future maybe um are we which, thinking maybe we should uh oh uh yeah which rank I'll, I'll start off i'll start off with the rankings uh well and not because it kind of leads in from the i i want to like this game because it it deeply intersects with my interests of simulation and building an emergent game and like the 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 I don't I I have hard I'm having a hard time even explaining like what I want out of it but for whatever reason I just I didn't find it very interesting and it makes me sad and I don't even like I don't think that that means other people wouldn't find it interesting. And obviously some of you did. Well, <laughs> uh, I, I feel like this is going to be a polarizing game for us, but I, I would imagine it's a, it'd be a very polarizing game if you gave it to a random subset of people. There'd be some people who would mm-hmm. really like it and a lot of people who just bounce off. is like, I don't understand what I'm doing here. Um, so like for me, I, I put it as my number 10 out of 15 game. It's below Dungeons of Dreadmore. Oh it's, lord! It's hey, like, Dungeons of Dreadmore. I think <laughs> is still pretty. I'll, I'll go to bat for Dreadmore. It's uh, for, okay. So for me, it's above a valley without wind. So it's it oh. it, it is okay, well. I guess that's where I mean it needs to be above yeah. that game. But so <laughs> it's I'm gonna say that right now it, it it is the threshold. It is now the lowest end of the threshold of games that I'm like, this wasn't an objectively bad game. Like you would recommend that, it like I would recommend it to very specific people. Mm-hmm. And I would be willing to watch it and I want more games like it to exist. Which I feel like that's a weird, it's a weird contradiction. It's like I didn't like it, but I want more games like it to exist. I feel like that's kind of how I feel about Dwarf Fortress, mm-hmm. where I'm like, I didn't particularly enjoy it, but I want more of it. I want I want simulation. I just you want, want the, you want the Rim World that came later. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I like the idea of it. I just didn't really enjoy playing it. Scott, um, yeah, I'll go next. Uh, I really like this game. I think it's very unique in that uh, I never really played a lot of DOS games growing up, but I feel like this is what would be like the pinnacle of of like early 90s dos games would be uh and yeah like it's it's rough around the edges you know you, you i think like it's hard for games that are 
developed by just one person to really have every element like fully polished to like a triple a level but my expectations for this were uh like some kind of interesting universe to explore um i think the humor in writing was like a neat surprise like i didn't expect it to be like as funny and like you know i mentioned earlier very blackaddery as it was that kind of very dry, uh, like British style humor, uh, I really like a lot. Um, but yeah, I think like the the aspect of like early game, like okay, you put down the rebellion, great, like that's a very clear goal to have. Now what do I do? Like it, it kind of seems a little overwhelming. If there was an advisor to say like, well, do you want to focus on like exploration? Do you want to focus on economics? Do you want to focus on diplomacy? Here's here's kind of like your your very like noob friendly options. Like I'd like to focus on exploration, please. What can I do to make my kingdom better doing that? Like send like oh here's how you send knights out on quests and stuff. And okay great. Like handhold me through like the first game and then like allow me to take the training wheels off for insane mode for like that that uber challenge of like oh now I've got to go and fight you know the 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 super sieve on the other side of the continent kind of a deal. Um, but yeah, overall, I really like it. I think the, the ASCII art is super good. Uh, I've been taking like copious screenshots of like all these goofy encounters that I have. And there's like on the, um, like I'll mention the war sim subreddit once again, like there's a, uh, like a couple lists that the developer put on there of like, here's 101 things to do in the game. And he put out another like 101, like goofy things. And some of them are like, uh, view the corpse sculpture in the Thundil Tavern. Watch a monster fight in Baia. Listen to a Thundil vampire bard. Torture someone in Baia's Baia's torture chamber. Listen to a procedurally generated gnome whistler. Like or enter the demonic realm. These are all like, like this is this is like perfect for me. I don't know that I can sit and play this game for like longer than thirty minutes at a time because it does. It's it's almost kind of like reading a book to some degree. It doesn't like require that. We do it for like eight hours in a row, just (laughs) one book straight through. Well, I mean, I'm a I'm a pretty slow reader too. Like, I'm not one of those freaks who can just like look at the words and then like process them later. Like, I have like I have a little voice in my head that's like enter the demonic realm one word at a time. Um, but yeah, I think like I think this game is very fun. Uh, I'm glad that that we picked it out. Uh, this for me, I was waffling of like, do I like this game better than Binding of Isaac? And I think no, because uh, I think Binding of Isaac, like, engaged, like, kept me engaged more. Like, I could sit and, like, play Binding of Isaac for a solid eight hours straight, no problem. Um, We did just play Fights in Tight Spaces. I feel like this kind of splits the difference between the two for me as my number four game out of the 15 that we've ranked in that it's very unique. I like all the art style and goofiness about it. Um, I just wish there were like better handholding options or a more clear uh, call to action for like, okay, you put down the rebellion. Now what? Like, have I beaten the game? Like, what else is there to do? Uh, I get that there's like a lot of stuff, and I'm excited to explore it. But like, give me a hint or two of as to where should I go next? Reasonable, um, incorrect, of course, because it's the best <laughs> game that we've played so far to date. Out of the 15 games, this is up my number one spot. I give this game an 8.5 out of 10. Um, of course, I, I Kenshi, as mentioned earlier, that's one of my very of my five 10 out of 10 games of all time. And so, um, yeah, this game uh, 
for a an ASCII art text-based game. I was so surprised and delighted that um that we we played this. Um I in fact that I'm going to continue to play this probably for another like five, ten hours. I think at some point the novelty will be completely sapped out of it. And I think that, that once you do explore everywhere, um, you can't try every option, right? Because if once you destroy a place, like you can't do all the options that you didn't choose, but like I kind of get the sense of how everything goes now. But like in getting that initial novelty, it's just so delightful. And I think just like as you're talking there, like what you reminded me of is like when I went to there's some caverns where you find some gnomes, essentially, and they <laughs> and they uh, and they have like a gnome uh, uh, insulting challenge that they have. And so they and there's like and so like all the other battlers, the scorpion battle or the brawler, the brawler battles, like all these little betting games. There's probably like 10 or 15, 20 different betting games in there. This is one where they just two gnomes and they have like their self-respect as like the, the something like that as like their like <laughs> HP. And then like they insult each other. And then when they get insulted, their, their HP, their self-respect goes down and then they eventually run off crying and that's them losing. And I'm just like, that is great. You talk to the 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 uh, uh, the owner of that the caverns, and you say, "Hey, why aren't you betting on this?" And he's like, "What's betting?" And so you introduce <laughs> the concept of betting to the civilization. You come back later, and suddenly this guy's rich. He's got golden idols to himself. He's in. He's just like, "Yeah, thanks for telling me about betting. I just made. I'm a I'm a rich now, and here's some money. Thanks for doing that for." And it's just like that sort of thing where it's just everywhere is a surprise and delight. In addition to all the optimization, in addition to the puzzle solving of the the betting of the diplomacy, oh my gosh! Like the, there's lots of depth in that too. But I could ramble on and on and on about what's the best way of doing everything, as you've, you've as you've seen here. And I probably get it wrong too because there's some aspects of the game that I haven't seen yet. But yeah, eight point five out of ten for me. And um, uh, I don't know. I don't think there's much that I can criticize here other than like the things that I've already brought up that. At some point, things get monotonous, and the best games don't allow for monotony to work into the games. They evolve. So, like mm -hmm. the paperclip game is a, a perfect simulation game, um, in the sense that everything you're doing is scales up, and as something is about to get old, you've done it enough times, it morphs into a different mechanic, and that's new, and the novelty is refreshed. And so, that's something that this game could have utilized a little bit. But I don't know how you would have done that without keeping kind of the end and the progression in mind from the very beginning because uh that's a, that's a that's something i don't know how it would have been accomplished i think it's as good as it can be for what it is yeah. all right uh email if you want to write into the show grogpodzone at gmail.com if you want to follow us on mastodon we're grogpod at gamedev.place and we have our fancy website grogpod.zone where you can find all of our rankings you find a Google sheet of where we're getting all this data from. I should probably refresh it at some point, but I'll probably wait till till March or so to do that. Um, Colin, can you give us a little preview for what game you've selected for us to cover next? Oh, you know you've been waiting for it. It almost came up before. We're going to be doing C -c 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 Cog Mind. Yay! Finally, uh, my actual introduction to to like a true, true roguelike. I think this is going to be the, the rokiest roguelike that we've done in quite some time. Mm -hmm. And I I know Scott and I have both played it before and both very much enjoyed it. And Will has played it and didn't enjoy it. But maybe he'll enjoy it this time around. <laughs> right, yeah. Like, new I'm, I'm perspective. Curious. And he should like it because it's a great game. All right. Well, we will we'll see you all next time for attaching some 
thermonuclear rocket boosters to our body and flying past all sorts of uh, robots hellbent on killing us. Thanks for listening. <laughs>